Tell you what, let's, let's take that invitation uh, from Ashley and let's, let's pray together for this. Lord, this, this is exciting time for us. We have followed you step by step for probably longer than, than we know, longer than specific words and names and dates have been put to this thing. God, you've been going ahead of us um, into a, a new, a second location. And God, we pray that we would stay in step with you through uh, every continuous step of the process. Would you give us wisdom and clarity? Would you give us collaboration with uh, the neighborhood in and around the ECC? We're thankful for them and that church and that building, those people who've opened their space to us. And God, would you um, crack open something in that city where people would find an oasis of hope and renewal God, would you, would you expand our, um, our understanding of what it means to be your church in multiple places? Would it be, Lord, that even uh, this pandemic has prepared us to be that in new and creative ways? So, God, would you surprise us continually with your goodness in Grand Rapids? We ask for wisdom, patience, and your presence uh, on the particular leadership. I think of Ashley and Delwyn and our elders as they look specifically at that space. And uh, we're so grateful, God, for what you have done. And we, with open hands, uh, anticipate your goodness. Continue, because that is who you are. So God, we lift this to you, and we'll give you great thanks. Amen. Amen. So we move this morning to our teaching text. This is gonna be coming out of Philippians chapter two. If you have, uh, nobody has a shed Bible, but if you brought your own, I mean, I do, but um, if you brought your own or on a device or at home, Philippians chapter two, it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Good morning, my name is Troy, one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us. Happy November 1. What a day. Full moon Halloween last night. Uh, Daylight savings. Evidently there was a sports ball game yesterday that people cared about. Um, The last Sunday before our national election. And four months ago on this day, my daughter was born. And just in case you're wondering, 
I am looking for every opportunity to talk about her and to show pictures. Um, with a head of hair like that, how would you... Did I hear somebody say you'd like to see another photograph? We dressed her up as a pineapple last night. Yeah. Once again, uh, that has nothing to do with where we're headed this morning, but she's constantly on my mind. By the way, she did not care that I was preaching today um, and wasn't interested in me getting a good night of sleep. Um, It's a joy, but uh, yeah, we stumble along, right? Today also is the midway point for this Steadfast series that we're in. We've uh, spent the last four weeks focusing on our vision statement, living a, a, a Jesus people for the sake of the world. So I'm really grateful to Ashley and to Gary Burge and Christine for their strong teachings these last four weeks. And today we pivot for another four weeks and we focus on our mission statement, living the way of Jesus in missional communities, announcing the arrival of his kingdom and working for measurable change among the oppressed. And today I get tasked with the first of these phrases, living the way of Jesus. And when Ashley and I were planning this series out and we assigned me this Sunday, I was really excited because I like talking about Jesus. And I like talking about what in the world it means to live in light of who Jesus is. And so I started poking around and decided, so what text should we talk about today? What should we preach on? And so... uh, And then I realized it's going to be hard to talk about living the way of Jesus on one Sunday. I mean, essentially, that's what we talk about every Sunday, right? But it felt really hard. How do you pick one thing? So what do we do? What text, where should we land? Should we concentrate on the biggest chunk of Jesus' teaching that we have in the Gospels? Should we look at the Sermon on the Mount? And that felt maybe too big for a single Sunday. So maybe we boil that down and focus on one aspect of that teaching. Maybe it's just the Beatitudes. That seems like a pretty good thing to focus on. But then you start looking at the rest of the way that Jesus lived and you say, well, he also did lots of other things. He spoke truth to power. That seems like it might be an interesting thing to investigate during this season. Or maybe we ought to think about the way that Jesus interacted with the poor and the disenfranchised. That seems like it will be poignant. And before I knew it, I was paralyzed. I didn't know how to pick. There's just too much. And so this past week, I was in the office and I was mentioning it to Tim Nelson. I said, how in the world do we pick this thing? And so Tim says, "Um, well, maybe we need to think about the life of Jesus and to consider What particular aspect of the life of Jesus does our church most need to think about and to meditate on? And I thought, that's a really good idea. That's a helpful and wise way to move forward. But here's the problem. It didn't help. It didn't help me. I didn't help. I couldn't figure that out either. And before I knew it, I was sitting at my desk Monday afternoon having no idea where I was going to be today. And then around 11.30 p.m. Monday night until about 3 a.m. Tuesday morning, it became clear to me probably where we needed to go. Because there's been this text that's kind of had its hooks in me from the beginning. In the back of my mind, I was wondering about this one passage. 
This passage that's been throughout history cited and recited and probably sung by Christians from the very beginning of the movement, this Philippians 2 text. And this doesn't happen to me very often, but um, I think I think God gave me a very specific word for our church. And so um, I'm going to read it most of the time because I took a lot of time to get the, the language right. So forgive me for that. But um, I, it's with a little bit of anxiety, to be honest, that I talk about it. It feels really close to the surface for me. So I brought a handful of tissues with me. This is not a representation of me being sick, more, uh, but emotional. So just FYI. Um, so uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and it is jammed with great stuff. We could probably do a whole series of Sundays on this one text. So this will feel a little bit more like a drive-by than a deep dive. But I hope that what this will do for us is give us a glimpse of what this phrase, living the way of Jesus, what it might mean for our church, this particular group of worshiping people together in this moment. So, um, as Tim read, that, that starting at chapter 5, just a few verses before that, Paul starts um, with pleading. He pleads with the people that he's writing this letter with. It's a really eager tone, and it's almost like you can hear and feel Paul's desperation as he's writing to these folks. And his desire is so relatable. Here we find Paul asking the people to be humble and unified and unselfish. Realities that I don't know about you, but I'd love to see realized more fully in my church, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my country. Be humble and unselfish and unified. And he encourages these people to do this quite simply because Jesus did. Not because it would make running a church easier. Not because if people adopted these behaviors, he would get less email throughout the week. Not because it was a good tool for evangelism. Not even because it's the morally right thing to do. But quite simply because the attitude that we see Jesus embody is this very thing. And so Paul's appealing to that because ultimately every other strategy is a dead end. Without Jesus as our source and our true motivation, any of our efforts towards wholeness individually and as a corpor corporately, these will all fall short. So Paul is stressing, we do this because this was embodied by the person of Jesus. And I think what we see here is we see Paul paint a picture of the way of Jesus. And I want us to consider this morning three paths. And the first path is this, the path of humility. In verse 6, Paul paints this picture of Jesus humbling himself. Jesus who in his very essence is God. Another way of understanding in very nature. Jesus is God in his very essence. And he doesn't use that to his advantage. Instead, the word becomes flesh. 
being made in human likeness, but not just simply a human. Jesus takes the form of a servant. I preached a couple weeks ago about that scene in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, a prime example of Jesus humbling himself, taking the form of a servant. And, that, and if that wasn't profound enough, then Paul takes it farther, and he reminds us that Jesus humbled himself further to death, to death on a cross. And that's the second pathway, the path of suffering. As much as we, we, we may want to, we cannot avoid the fact that the way of the cross is the way of Jesus. We can't avoid it. Part of Jesus' true and complete self-surrender, it involves being obedient to death. A chapter later, Paul's going to use this phrase, we share in the sufferings of Christ. So, I'm asking you to consider one way of understanding what living the way of Jesus might mean are these pathways, the path of humility and the path of suffering. And so, I want to talk a little bit about these two paths and how they relate to our church. I've been a part of Mars Hill for all but five years of her existence. Back in 2004, I joined this place, and I have had genuinely the pleasure and the honor of serving in all kinds of ways. I've had a prominent role on Sundays from the very beginning. I don't know if you know this, my first Sunday at Mars Hill was an Easter Sunday, Easter 2004. I've had a wide range of bosses. I've had a wide number of job titles and job descriptions. I've had a wide range of different leadership opportunities in my 16 and a half years being here. It's from that place that I share these words that I think there has not been nearly enough confession about how Mars Hill has lacked humility. Outside of a few specific ministry expressions and efforts by individual pastors and leaders, Mars Hill in general has not been the most available and very good co-laborer with other churches. We have at times burned bridges, and at other times we've refused to even build them. Our reputation with other localized bodies of Christ has not been great over our existence, and unfortunately, quite a bit of that is deserved. There have been times when I think we took for granted the number of people who flocked here each weekend. During the first six or seven years, uh, we just assumed it was going to continue, and that in some ways, the number of folks that showed up every Sunday morning and evening, it was a kind of earned right. We didn't need a sign because people would figure out how to get here anyway, and if they couldn't, then it didn't matter because other people would replace them. People came and went, and 
often they didn't have very much personal contact and it left a lot of people feeling unseen and insignificant. Now, there have been so many great things that have happened around here. I don't want to be disparaging about our church, and I certainly don't intend to dismiss everything out of hand. Um, And while we have done a lot of really great work, I think there have been missed opportunities for us to leverage our time and our resources and our platform and our influence to benefit more marginalized and disenfranchised and under-resourced people in our area. Too often we've been content to just leave it to the outreach department. And other times we've opted for a kind of beige third way that ended up resulting in more good intentions and less courageous only by faith kinds of endeavors. I remember a conversation once with one of our pastors in the office where we were talking to other staff people about what it was like to work at Mars Hill. And this pastor said something like this, you know, compared to working at Mars Hill, every other church is like working at Burger King. In fact, if you ever leave Mars Hill, just go work fast food instead of some other church. And I remember we laughed, and I laughed, and implicitly just agreed. And I think about the arrogance and disrespect of other churches in that moment, and it's just, it's just wrong. There's this phrase that's floated around here for a while. Mars Hill is the last car on the last train out of Christianity. You've probably heard us had said on this stage. And I'm just going to say, finally, in public, that this kind of thinking is just full of hubris and self-importance. To forget, or even worse, to disregard Jesus' own words about his church. <clears throat> that not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. And then to make claims about the future of our faith as it relates to our particular worshiping body is short-sighted and dismissive of history. It relocates our confidence and our hope to this mailing address and away from the author and the perfecter of our faith. And while I'm so grateful for the role that this church has played in the lives of many people, myself included, I think we need to confess that at times we have thought too highly of ourselves, that we have overestimated our importance, and we have misrepresented this faith that we have inherited. Christianity did not get its start in the backwater suburb of Granville, Michigan, 1999. And Christianity will long outlast this church, its members and its leaders, past and present. I think in general, we have not taken the opportunity nearly enough to invite our community into spaces of honest introspection, 
to name the ways that we need to confess our collective sin, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to admit that we are wrong and fallen short. And while I may not have been the instigator of some of these things that I'm talking about, I have been complicit. That I have not nearly often enough spoken up or tried to name the negativity. I have simply gone along with it, so I need to confess both what I have done and what I have left undone. I'm so sorry. For Mars Hill's patterns and behaviors that have lacked humility. I also want to address the path of suffering because our church has also been on this path, a path that we would likely never have voluntarily chosen. We have suffered too many leadership transitions for our relatively young age. We have experienced significant shaping voices and personalities leave this community for other contexts and other opportunities, and these transitions are never neutral. Even if you didn't experience them as personally significant, they are never neutral because worshiping communities need stable, long-serving pastors. At every level of our ministry. I warned you. <laughs> Ephesians 5.1 tells us that we are all to be imitators of God. And as our God is steadfast, so are his followers and his ministers supposed to be. Marcel has experienced too much turnover, especially at the top of our organization, and that is a kind of suffering. And we have suffered relational loss. If you've been around this place for very long, you have likely had friends or family who have decided to go somewhere else. And the loss of these relationships is a kind of suffering that is also never neutral. Even if those connections can remain outside of church attendance and involvement, because there is a unique bonding that happens when people serve and pray and feast and sing and seek God together. And when those relationships transition, there is a disappointment and a pain that needs to be named and mourned. More recently, we have experienced a leadership transition with a side dish of global pandemic. And speaking personally, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed by the circumstances of this transition. I'm not calling into question why, I'm just disappointed by the this, this situation. And truth be told, I'm just starting to work through my own emotions about this. So chances are really good I'm not just disappointed. 
I think I'm really sad. I think I'm really frustrated. Trying to settle into being a first-time parent while stepping into some new leadership needs for our church while being quarantined has just been too much. This is easily the most difficult season of my adult life. I'm really bummed that this transition happened during this unique time in the history of our world. I'm disappointed that it happened so quickly. I'm so sad for our church that we didn't get to say goodbye in person and mark this moment together. I'm so sorry. For those of you who feel connected to AJ and his ministry, who didn't get to engage this transition in a more meaningful way, or who may never have a chance to say a final word to him, that's not how it should be. That's not the way we wanted it to be. Our church, like so many other churches, has suffered not being together physically to worship. It's staggering to think about 28 straight Sundays without being together. Staggering. Even now, with this in-person gathering option, we obviously experience just a small percentage of our church being together physically. And while I believe we've done the right thing over the past six to eight months, it is no less painful or disappointing to miss out on the unique manifestations of God wherever two or more are gathered. To miss the opportunity to pray and to be prayed for. To lose the lovely noise of a room full of non-musical people singing. And to miss out on the family feast, the elements being blessed and given to us, the climax of our gathered worship. There's suffering knowing that we may never see some people in this room again because they've decided to go somewhere else or they've decided to go nowhere at all because they're sick and worried about returning, some who have passed away. There's suffering knowing that so many lives in our community have been radically impacted by this pandemic, by job loss and deep loneliness, by struggling to take care of and educate children, depression and anxiety and so many other things. This is all taking place while we can't fully function as a caring Jesus people, carrying one another's burdens. We have been on a path of suffering. Excuse me. So the path of humility is the path that we choose. It's certainly a road less traveled. It's unlikely that many people wander very far down this path on accident. It requires too much intentionality, too much commitment. It requires regular confession, something I 
addressed a few weeks ago. I don't need to, to get in again here. The path of suffering, though, it's different. It's a path that virtually no one would willingly choose. Even Jesus asked that the Father would take the cup from him. Instead, the path of suffering is a path down which we are led. But Paul highlights another path in Philippians. And it's a, it's a text that shines some light on both the path of humility and the path of suffering. And that's the path of exaltation. In the life of Jesus, the paths of humility and suffering lead to his being exalted by God to the highest places. The wonderful passage tells us the story of Jesus who begins in the highest position imaginable. The very nature of God, beginning, existing from the beginning of all time, as John tells us in his gospel. And then he takes the lowest position, not simply becoming a human, but a servant or a slave. And not just that either, but further dying a death reserved for the very lowest of the low of all people, death on a cross. And yet, the story continues with Jesus' resurrection from the dead and ascension to the right hand of the Father, and now it becomes evident to all creation on earth, in heaven, and under the earth what has been true the whole time and can finally be named And Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the path of exaltation. But what's difficult for us as it relates to translating the path of exaltation to our circumstance is where it gets really hard. Because I can't make grand promises about Mars Hill being exalted to the highest place. I can't make great promises about what healing and restoration looks like. I can't make great promises that the room will be packed again. I can't make great promises about a windfall of money. I think I can say this, and we can say this confidently from this text, that our sufferings are not meaningless. Our sufferings are not meaningless. I cannot answer the theologically complicated questions about why these bad things happen. But I connect very deeply with my friend Glenn Packham when he wrote these words. He said, what we often hope for from God is prevention. And yet God opts for something he must know is stronger than prevention. Something we call redemption. These sufferings, even though we cannot fully explain or understand them, are not beyond God's ability to redeem. And that's good news. So while we choose the path of humility, and we're led down the path of suffering. Both of those paths are understood in light of the path of exaltation, 
where we learn to trust. We're going to pray for our church here in just a minute. And we're going to pray these prayers confidently because we believe God raised Jesus from the dead. A situation that certainly seemed unredeemable and yet was proven to not be beyond the power of God. And so we're going to bring our concerns, what Paul in another place calls our light and momentary troubles. We're going to bring them to the all-powerful creator and sustainer of life, to our steadfast God. My friend Todd, who plays drums here, he made me this prayer bench. So uh, he doesn't just make a lot of noise. He's a really gifted craftsman. And I asked him to make me a prayer bench for my office. And so this lives now in some newly redesigned office spaces that we have upstairs in one of our public offices. And I have it here because I want it to be a picture for you of a commitment that I'm making and an invitation to you. The commitment and invitation is this. I plan to, um, every single day in November, starting today, um, to pray for our church literally on my knees. Not metaphorically, literally kneeling to adopt a posture of humility and to pray simple prayers of help. Just simply asking that God would help our church. And the invitation is that you would do the same thing, that you would join me. Uh, The bench will get very crowded if we talk about this literally. Um, But that's the invite. It's the commitment I'm making and the invite that I'm going to... And we're not... We're going to give you an opportunity to do it now. Um, If at all possible, kneeling is a very helpful posture. Now, if you are physically unable, don't do it. If you're listening right now while you're driving a car, please don't do it. But some other sort of posture that would mirror the spirit, even bowing sometimes could be that, some gestures with your hands. Um, But... uh, I'm going to ask right now uh, that you would consider kneeling for a couple minutes with me. And I want to lead us, this is our practice for this week, I want to lead us to pray and to pray simple prayers of help. And so I will just prompt us and I will invite you to pray silently. So we pray to our steadfast God, would you give us as a church clarity and a deepening commitment to our mission and vision at the elder, staff, and community level? God, would you give us wisdom and courage during this interim leadership period? Show us the way forward. Help us see what and who is right for our church.
God, we pray for Mars Hill Grand Rapids, this embodied expression in Ottawa Hills. Would you draw people to yourself? Would you make your name great, not the name of Mars Hill? God, would you provide us with the necessary money that we need to faithfully be a Jesus people for the sake of the world in West Michigan and around the globe. God, would you cause unity and humility and unselfishness to be on display in our church. And God, we ask for undeniable encounters with you, our steadfast God, whenever and however we gather to worship each week. And we summarize our prayers with these words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And amen.